I remember coming to the realization that I was the only white person that I had seen within several blocks. I was driving through Chicago and needed to pull off the interstate to, to fuel up, to fill up my car. And I admit that upon that realization, I was feeling somewhat anxious and nervous. I remember that as I walked into the store to pay for my purchase, I casually grabbed my wallet from my back pocket and slid it into my front pocket, hoping that it would have more protection there. In those moments, I, as a white person, was not feeling trusting of the people around me, all of whom were black. I remember another situation, again, driving from Western Canada home to Ontario, and I drove through, when I'm on road trips, I like to take back roads, I like to explore. And so we took this fairly rural road that passed through the Standing Rock Reservation, First Nations Reservation in South Dakota. And again, stopping, fueling up for gas, looking around me and realizing that everybody looked different. And I remember feeling intimidated. I remember feeling nervous, distrusting of those around me. I've, I've been led to think back to these experiences in the midst of this week, this past seven to 14 days as we've been confronting face First, the realities of racism in North American society following the brutal murder of George Floyd by a police officer in Minnesota. And, and as this is, has somewhat taken the lid off of what has been ongoing frustrations with some of this racism. And I ask myself, as I reflect back on my own experiences and my own moments of feeling distrust or anxiety being around people of color, and I ask myself, like, what's going on in my heart there? Am I a racist? Am I a part of these uh, systems of, of oppression that have been pushing people of color down and, and marginalizing them? I've been wondering, how do I fit in with all of these realities? Now, now maybe, and actually I, I, there's this impulse within me that, that resists that and says, hold on, I'm not a racist. The person that me and my family have had around our dinner table more than anybody else over the last seven years has been a person of color. We love Josh Dale. He's a very good friend and as a black man. And yeah, great friend. So I could pause, I could say, well, hold on, I'm not a racist because I love Josh and he's been with us around the table. But I'm discovering that it actually is deeper than that. That there are situations in which we do participate in attitudes that are harmful to those around us who are different. Or at the very, very least, I, many of us, have been complicit, have been silent, have enabled uh, through our, our passivity these systems around us, this widespread reality of racism. So I'm learning more and more throughout this week as I've heard stories popping up on social media, as I've been watching the news and, and seeing things develop, the various protests grow in, in different places, seeing the commentary, as I've heard the deep sorrows and the deep fears of those who've been protesting the murder of George Floyd. I've been hoping, I've been praying, I've been lamenting, I've been soul searching, it's been hard. It hasn't, hasn't been easy. And, and I don't, sorry, I don't, I don't say that as if it's been particularly hard for me. This is hard for, for all of us um, and obviously not near as hard for us who are, are seeing this. 
It's not near as hard for us, obviously, as those who are receiving racism day after day or year after year. But it has been unsettling. I'm listening and I'm learning. That's my hope. That's my aim. And all the while as I process this, I think, I wonder what our First Nations people must wonder at this time. As they observe, for many of us, our hearts bleeding for black brothers and sisters right now. As our eyes are open to the racism that they've experienced. What are First Nations peoples in North America thinking as they have been experiencing these realities also? And, And for us, you know, we have... First Nations people right next door. And it's, it's a very recently ingrained part of our, our political or societal history. So that's also something that my mind is drawn to. What are, what are those folks thinking through at this time? So I'm listening. I'm learning. I'm hearing that for many African Americans, the horrifying image, the horrifying video of Derek Chauvin's knee on the neck of George Floyd snuffing the life out of him, that this, they have received this, they have felt this as a significant symbol of what they have been experiencing, having the knee of society, the knee of their nation upon their neck, snuffing out their life decade after decade after decade. I'm hearing this being said, and I receive that, and I want to learn from it. Two examples that have helped kind of this hit home for me in the last uh, number of weeks I'm going to share with you here. These are just two of of many, but two that have been significant. There's a lady named Jo Saxton, a lady of of color, a Christian leader. She's Nigerian-born, lived in the UK, has lived now in the United States for a good number of years. And and so I, I love her teaching. If there's any one voice I'm looking to right now and really appreciating in the areas of leadership and discipleship, it's Jo Saxton. And, and so following the murder of Ahmaud Arbery when he was jogging through a neighborhood several weeks back, Joe Saxon made the comment that this situation reminds her of the realities around her as a person of color. And it leads to her, when she goes out for a run for a jog, she does so with a certain measure of fear in her heart, wondering, could this also happen to me? And that struck me. That really struck me because I care about Joe. I, I, I respect her. I really appreciate her influence. And thinking like, this lady feels fear because of the things happening around her in society. So that struck me. The second piece that really struck me was uh, an account by a fellow named Leonce uh, Crump, who is a black pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. And this story was posted on the, on the Facebook page of a, another church leader that I really appreciate. And so Leonce Crump says uh, he was driving through Texas a number of years ago uh, and describes his experience. He says, we were pulled over, but we weren't speeding. I wasn't driving radically. I wasn't intoxicated. And it was broad daylight. The officer asked me to step out of my vehicle and I refused. By this time, I'd earned an MS, a Master of Social Work in Criminal Justice. An MS. Master of Science? Anyway, an MS in criminal justice. My focus in this degree was case law and judiciary process, which of course included an extensive study of policing history and practice. Oh, maybe a Master of Sociology. Sorry, I should have checked this before I began. Included an extensive study of policing histories and practices. 
So yes, I refused to get out of the car. But my wife pleaded and the officer demanded and so I complied. The officer immediately grabbed me and began asking me where I was coming from, where I was going, and if I had anything in my vehicle of concern. Meanwhile, the other officer interrogated my wife and asked her if she was being held against her will. Really? Riding in the front seat with a tri-racial child in the back, the lead officer, hand still on his firearm, began to try and frisk me. Again, I refused. The law says I should comply, Pennsylvania versus MIMS, and step out of the vehicle. The law does not allow for the illegal search of my person or property. I stated this to him. He became enraged, breathing threats and calling me boy. It took another officer to calm him down, finally, with a lack of any justifiable reason to hold us. They let us go. I've never been so angry. My wife, never so humiliated. These experiences are not a mere antidote. This is systemic. These are two of the stories that really gripped me this week, and I'm discovering that these these searches that being pulled aside and, and questioned is not a rare occurrence that for many black folks, this happens time and time again. So hear me loud and clear when I say that we need to listen and learn from these events and these conversations about race. Interestingly, our text for today uh, from Ephesians is uh, brings up the topic of racism. It speaks directly to this reality. And I've set my text, my text schedule for my preaching out two to three months uh, beforehand. And, and so I see this actually as a, a wonderful coincidence of God that we have this here. So verse three, sorry, chapter three, verses one to 15 of Ephesians. If you look at the very start, it says, verse, sorry, verse 14 Sorry, I'm getting this a little bit mixed up. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. Verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every single family, every single race, every single culture derives its name from our heavenly Father. This idea of name speaks to identity. The biblical use of name is much broader than the way we tend to use it. Names meant something. Names had to do with personality, with characteristics, with identity. And it also, we need to know, it comes from a father. So every person receives this identity from God. This is not just a God who created things and stepped back, disinterested and distant. This is a God who is our Father, a Father, a perfect Father who protects, a perfect Father who provides for, a perfect Father who is with and loves His children. Every person, every person receives their name, their identity from God our Father. I'm Yancey. The people in my community know that I got that name from my mother and father, Ken and Joyce Yancey. My identity, my name is derived from them as my parents. People know that I have a receding hairline, much like my dad's. It's, it's quite unfortunate. I am, I'm heading that direction of, of baldness, and I get that characteristic from my father. 
I'm not quite as skilled at these, but I do have a capacity to tell pretty solid dad jokes. And I get this capacity from my dad, who is the master of all dad jokes. I got my thriftiness from my dad. I, sometimes when I'm down at the lake, I find uh, pieces of, of wood that have washed up on the shoreline and they're, they're battered, but I, I haul some of the good ones home to build with. I get this thriftiness from my father. I value commitment to community. I value perseverance over the long haul. I get these things from my dad. I get my identity from my dad. Every person, everywhere, receives their personality, their identity, their characteristics from our Heavenly Father. The capacity to love, the capacity to think, to laugh, to create, to work. All of this we get from God with each of our own unique flavor. George Floyd, his name, his identity, he received from our Heavenly Father. Derek Chauvin, the police officer that murdered George Floyd, he received his identity. He received his personality from our Heavenly Father. George Floyd as a black man, Derek Chauvin as a white man. Each of these names were received, were, were, um, were given by our Heavenly Father. And so it is with you. Whoever you are watching this video, your name, your identity, doesn't matter what race, what culture, what background, you receive your identity from God the Father. This is clear in Scripture. Lots and lots of verses speak to it. Genesis chapter 1, God says, Let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says, After this I looked and behold a multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. It is biblically clear that all people, every single person of every single race is made in the image of God. They receive their identity from God. And I think that most of us agree with this on a head level. We're like, yeah, of course that's true. However, now we need to do the hard work of digging deep into our attitudes looking at how the ways that society has operated has often pushed people of different races down, not elevating them so that they're honored and their voices are also heard. Every single person receives their identity from God. Now, I'm going to dig deeper into the text that we have for today, and it speaks to the underlying spiritual work that we need to do in order to engage in this work of reconciliation. It might seem like I'm just spiritualizing the issue. Please hear me clearly. I'm not, it's not my intent. It is not my intent. I'm just not going to speak further on race here. Clearly, I'm not the person that you need to hear from to know how to address race in our societies. And so I add my voice saying this is important, saying we need to engage in this. I'm not the person that you need to hear from. It's not hard to search out for voices. Google it. 
Check social media. Look who are people that are speaking out about race from their own experiences, people of color. I mentioned Joe Saxton already. Joe, J-O, Saxton, S-A-X-T-O-N. Look her up. Great teaching. She does a lot of stuff on leadership, discipleship, but in it she also shares experiences as a person of color. Another name that I've, another person that I've found to have really helpful insight this week is a fellow named Esau Macaulay. He's a New Testament professor, a black man, and he does some really good writing on this topic. I'm just beginning to, to find his voice and to hear from him. John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins, he's 90 years old. He's been at the front of the civil rights movement for a long, long time, obviously born in 19, 1930. He's been a key prophetic voice that's called the church for a holistic gospel, evangelism, and reconciliation. So those are just three voices I'm looking at that I recommend. Who are the voices that you're listening to? Please look to those voices. And, and so as you look to those voices to hear uh, about matters of race, I'm now going to proceed in our text and dive into some of the, the spiritual issues that I do think prepare the disposition of our hearts to be ready to hear and to see what we need to see in this conversation. I'm going to read the full text here. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ah, oh, what a rich text. I wish I could preach uh, several sermons on this one, so I feel like I'm just sort of scraping the surface of what could be said here. The first idea, I guess the second idea, I already talked about how this, uh, this reality that every single person receives their identity from God. So the second piece I want to share with you is this idea that it is God's presence that will enable us to listen and to learn well. Honestly, I feel anxiety when I dive into conversations about race. What if I get it wrong? What if it's painful to see what's inside of me and what I've been a part of? What if I just can't seem to change the ways within me, the ways around me? Or what if people misunderstand me? What if other people that I care about just plain disagree with me and how I approach this? There's anxiety in my heart. And so recognizing this, I need the presence of God within me to guide me, to give me courage, and to give me peace in this. And our text today speaks to the goal of God's presence. Verse 17, it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is what Paul's praying about for the people he writes to. So that Christ's, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 18 and 19 says, also talks about the need to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that his love surpasses knowledge. And then it goes on also to say, may you be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. Man, these are quite the descriptions. 
Just imagine if you could be described in this way with Jesus in your heart, with a deep, solid grasp of how much God really, really, really loves you, and then to say that you have been filled with the fullness of God. What would I feel like? What would I be capable of? How at peace and courageous would I be? How loving would I be as I enter this conversation? I want to be filled right up with God. I want to have the fullness of his love, of his peace, of his truth. And Paul is praying this over the people that he leads. He knows that growing in this, the presence of God in their lives, will make all of the difference. And so, may this be our prayer to ask God to fill us, to ask God to dwell in our hearts, to ask God to show us how much he loves us. It is God's presence that will enable us to listen and to learn well. On Monday night, Monday, well, Monday afternoon, I installed 24 deck lights at home. These are, are lights that, uh, they're LED lights. They're the type that you, you place right on the, on the floorboards and then they're, they're flush with the surface so that they, they outline the outer edges of my deck and the, and the steps. I think that they look pretty nice. So I cut the holes, I slid them in, looks great. But then, in order for these lights to be any good at all, I needed to plug them into an electrical source. And this required me then to go under my deck. It's a dirt surface that I'm lying on. And I've got about an 18-inch space between the dirt and the deck joists. And I'm squirming around in there. And it's awkward and ugh, dirty. It was, just, it was horrible. It's almost as bad as working in an attic. I did not enjoy it at all. But I had to do this because then I had to wire each light to one another and make a continuous length all the way to the electrical outlet that I would be plugging it into. These lights would be entirely useless. In the day, you might be like, oh, those are, those are nice lights. They don't really light up, but they look nice. In the dark, you wouldn't see them at all. At night, you wouldn't see them at all. And so I needed to plug them into that source for them to be worth anything at all. So it is with us. We will not experience God's peace We will not experience God's love and his work through us. The text says that he can do more than we can even imagine. We will not experience that until we are plugged into the power source of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, Paul prays that he made that God would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, he prays that you may have power together with all God's holy people to grasp his love. And verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. This is a word that's repeated a number of times, and so we need to pay attention to it. God can do great things. God can give you peace. God can show you his love, but it requires being connected to him as a power source. So often, we try to work this stuff out on our own. Really, so often... We wonder and we're like, why am I not experiencing all of these great things? But we've pushed God to the side. We do our own thing. We don't make that space for him. Jason Herb was inviting us to this last week. Jason was our speaker last last weekend. He's our speaker again next weekend. His theme was encountering God. And he's saying, what do you need to do? What's the heart work to open up space for God to be at work? When we push God to the side, we do our own thing. We don't create that space for him. And then we ask these questions, well, why isn't God doing pretty neat stuff, it's the exact same as if I loved these lights I installed and then wondered why nothing was happening when I refused to plug them in to the electrical socket. 
We need to open ourselves up to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ask him to be present. Push away the distractions. Say, God, I'm here with you now. I want to hear your voice. I need you to do work in my heart. Paul's praying this over the people that he leads. And it led me to think about what is it that we pray over our kids when we tuck them into bed at night? What is it that you pray over your friends? Oftentimes with my kids, you know, it's, it's easy to just pray, God, would you keep them safe? Would you help them to grow, to be big and strong? And would you give them a good night's sleep? There's nothing wrong with asking for that. But this does not reflect the heart that Paul has for the people that he leads. What does he pray for? What does Paul pray for? He prays that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. He prays that they would be rooted in power in order to understand and experience the fullness of God's love. May these be our primary prayers for ourselves, for those around us, that we'd have the power of the Spirit, that Christ would dwell in our hearts, that we would know God more fully because that will be the source for the things we ultimately want to experience in life. That will be the source for us to engage in conversations about race well, to be able to listen well, to be able to learn well, to be able to play, to put this into practice. We are going to need God's presence in our lives. Your capacity to listen and to learn well will be dependent on God's power. So in conclusion, my focus, my call for today is that we would listen and learn with God's presence and power. Listen and learn. I'm just going to repeat myself again. I implore you, take the time to hear from the voices of people of color. Whether going in, you think you're going to agree or disagree with what they have to say, listen, because that is what's most important. And you will find, I have found, that it shapes my perception in significant ways that I didn't even necessarily expect at the onset. Listen. Seek out First Nations voices, black voices, voices of other ethnicities around us. Examine your attitudes. Wonder how and if you've been complicit. It's not hard to find. Google it. Cruise social media. Talk to other people you know who are, you know are engaging in the conversation. May we have a posture of humility and curiosity. And then second, be sure to invite God into your life. What does that look like? What are the steps, the decisions, the practices that you need to incorporate into your life I don't know if the last number of weeks I've been sounding like a broken record. I know for myself I need to sound like a broken record. The inclinations of our flesh, our natural bent, is to be busy and to be consumed and then when we're not busy to veg out and relax. That's what I'm fighting against all the time. But we need to create this space to hear from God, to receive that peace, to receive that empowerment, to be shaped in important ways, to be agents of reconciliation in our world. Make space. Seek God's face. You will need God's presence and power in order for you to enter into these realities that actually will probably lead you into territory that is quite uncomfortable. May we listen and learn with God's presence and power. Let's pray together. And then I just want to share a few more details for our worship this weekend. Uh, God... I, I have felt, and I imagine for many watching this video, uh, it's felt a little bit overwhelming to know what to say this week, 
and uh, what to say, what to feel, um, how to pray, God. But you know, you know what's needed. You're the creator of all people. We lament the pain that we are seeing and hearing. We lament any the, the ways that we have taken part in it or enabled it. God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see all people live in harmony. We want to be like you, Jesus. Please show us how. Show us what we need to do. Shape our hearts that we would be people of service, that we would lay down our lives for others, that we would honor all people. Please shape us in these ways. And God, we continue to ask for your presence and your power. God, we need more of you within us. We can't do this on our own. Lead us in that. Speak to us. Minister to us. Dwell in our hearts richly, God, we pray. Thank you for your love. It's high, it's deep, it's wide, it's long. We can't run away from it, God. You love each one so much. So we honor you and we thank you for that. And we pray, God, that you would do wonderful things beyond what you can, we can imagine through us by the power of your spirit. So we offer this prayer to you. Form us as a community of reconciliation. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for speaking to us in these last number of days through people of color. Join us together in harmony, we pray, Lord God. Amen. Thank you very much for taking this time to be with me. This is an Oikos weekend. Uh, so we have our assembly gatherings or Oikos gatherings. Assemblies when we're all gathered together on Zoom Sunday morning at 11. Oikos is when we all meet on Zoom, but then we divide off into our smaller discussion groups. Uh, no obligation. If you've not been to an Oikos Sunday before, no obligation to share. You can just show up, watch, listen. You don't know what that means. Just show up. We'll get you into, into a group. We'll try and connect you maybe with somebody that you know if possible. We'd we'll love to have you join us. So if you don't have the link, message me, message the church. We'll get that link to you. We'd love to have you gather uh, for our, our um, Oikos, Oikos gathering this weekend. May God be with you. Thank you for taking this time together. Take care.